In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So many people to acknowledge today. First of all, I'd like to thank the Reverend Kathy Corbett Welch for her ministry in this place, so many faithful years and in this diocese, and ever helpful still. She just told me where the light is for the pulpit. So <laughs> grateful to you and to her beloved who is here with us. I'd like to acknowledge the priest and the former senior warden of St. Peter's Poolsville, the former senior warden who happened to be um, the, the rector's husband. So we're um, very glad that you're here and we're grateful for the congregation of St. Peter's, which was Vicki's home for, for many years. Also the canon, um, canon Paula Clark is here who oversees among many things the, um, the guiding of clergy through the ordination process and then also the matchmaking process for congregations and clergy um, as you go through your times of discernment and so I just think we have a lot of people to be grateful for as instruments of God's grace that have brought us to this moment. And um, this feels like a, um, a match made in the Diocese of Washington. So we are <laughs> um, very grateful. And, um, and grateful to all of you who have been um, so faithful here in this part of uh, Montgomery County. Um, you are blessed with many beauties and many and, and many gifts that you um, enjoy, but you also, you also steward beautifully. And that is a tribute to all of you and to the affection that you hold for one another and your love of God. So thank you. And anyone who is a guest with us today, please know that you are surrounded by love as we, um, as we celebrate this great day. I just got back from a a conference in Kansas City, which was on um, how to have healthy, vibrant churches, right? So it's just a big conference on healthy, vibrant church life. Um, and it was held at one of the largest churches in the country. In fact, the largest Methodist church in the country. So this enormous, beautiful campus on, um, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 acres of land and multiple buildings. I mean, just the whole thing, right? Everything you can imagine. Big church at its finest. But one of the workshops I attended was entitled Small Church, Big Impact. And the, um, and the, and the room was packed, right? So then there were about 2,000 people at this conference. And I would guess that the room held about 400 people, and we were all in there. And the speaker started out by acknowledging that the, you know, that that there was a law that that the majority of Protestant churches are in fact small. Um, that I think that the number is something like sixty or seventy percent. I can't quite remember of of Protestant congregations have a worshiping community of eighty or less. Okay, so just to give you a sense of the scale, this is this is a big this is a big swath of American Christian life. Um, and the first thing he said in the context of this sprawling church, beautiful church, but he said the questions and the struggles and the issues before a church like this one are nothing like the questions, struggles, and issues that you have in a smaller church. And so whatever you learn here in this time, and we all learned a lot, there's a translation that has to go on or an adaptation. And he said some things that have stayed with me, and I want to test them out with you as one of the congregations and one of many in the Diocese of Washington that fits that 
um, description. And it really raises some interesting questions about um, the health of our life, how to live a healthy, vibrant Christian life in a small congregation. And, and also, if we cast our gaze to the horizon, what's, what's up ahead? And how those of us who are charged with stewarding not only the present, but the future might, uh, might learn from that. And the first thing he said was that smaller churches um, have different issues relative to, um, to their purpose and their vision, uh, as opposed to a large church that can, can do so many things. He said, oh, but one of the struggles of a small church is that vision casting is hard beyond caring for the needs of those present. That the primary mission focus, because the community is so close-knit and so beloved, and that is one of the joys of small church life, that that in itself, which is a perfectly fine vision, but it's a difficult vision to see beyond. And it raises the question in his mind, he was just, and again, just, I'm just testing this out, see what you think. It raises the question in his mind, is that the purpose, the sole purpose of a church, even a small church? And so he just put that out there. He didn't, he didn't answer it. He just said, might there be something else or something more that a church, a small church is called to beyond caring for the needs the relational needs of the congregation gathered. And he also said that it, it, it's a challenge in small churches, usually because of scale and often because of demographics. It's a challenge to mentor people who are new to the faith or to mentor rising generations. And in part because um, there's just, there's just a, a, not that very many children or not that many people who come in. And so we're not accustomed the way a larger church might be, accustomed to having people come in on a regular basis, seeking to be nurtured in the faith, introduced to the faith, discipled in the faith, that we have in smaller churches, we have a harder time with that. So that was his thesis. And then he went about um, describing some ways that we might address those things. Are you ready? So are you with me so far? Or would you argue, even if you argued, <laughs> even if you want to say, I don't know if that's true, stay with me for the for the purpose of this um, reflection, and then we can, we can move on. But so the, the, the first thing he said was um, to maximize, to basically lean into your strength. Right? And what your strength is, he was saying to all of us who are representing small churches, your strength is your relational intimacy. Right? To lean into that and to offer that wherever you go. In other words, and he used examples. I don't know if this would, would fit here. But if, uh, he said many, many small churches, for example, have some kind of ministry of like a food bank or some kind of service to the community, something that is an effort to do good in the wider community. And he said just make sure that you lead with your relational intimacy to share that wherever you go so that you are known not simply for the love that you have for one another, but that you become that place where people are loved and where love is shared freely. Does that make sense? To kind of lean into that and to claim that as one of your primary gifts that God has given you and that you offer to the world. That's the first one. And the second thing he said was to um, begin to ask yourself the kinds of questions 
that allow you to hone in on what other uh, vision God may be giving you. But to imagine, to, to, to think about it in terms of what, what you have to work with. And he used the classic example of um, in churches, I don't know if this, this may not be true at, at, um, at St. Luke's, it may not be true at St. Peter's either, but in some churches, we wind up doing a lot of things because we've always done them. Is that? No, 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 I know. Are you surprised by that? I know, such a shock. And that kind of, we kind of go on autopilot, right, because we've always done them. And he just said, before you go into the next round of whatever it is, because you've always done it, just ask yourself, why? What's the purpose? Right? What are we trying or hoping to accomplish? And he used that great phrase, the so that clause. We do this so that result. And just ask yourself if the fruit, if the result of what you're doing is as still as relevant to you as it was when that tradition was ever started. Right? Just as a way of Ask, it's just sort of like doing an audit of everything you've done to ask yourself why and what the fruit is and if we still need to do it, right? Or could we do it differently? Or could we do it with a, with a more inspiring outcome? The classic example he gave and it, um, is, you know, we do vac vacation Bible school every year because we do vacation Bible school, right? Or we have a, you know, a service on such and such a day because we vote, but not really thinking about what are we hoping to achieve. So you get the idea. So that was one thing. And then the other thing he said was to encourage in new ways intentional spiritual growth. Because in small churches, there are so many chores to be done just to keep the place going, right? So many chores to be done, and they all need to be done, and they're usually done by, by the laity, right? And he said, and that's well and good, but you can get confused then and miss the opportunities to go deeper in your walk with Christ. And he suggested not having a bunch of classes at the church, but rather inviting people to break bread together in each other's homes. And and then use that opportunity as, an op as a way to explore faith together. And I thought that that was really inspiring, you know, to say, yes, we have this, you know, important, amazing facility and, and the services and the chores and finances. I mean, you know, right? But that we save some time for the development of faith, which would then create smaller tables. And so if someone were to come to the church, you would be able to say, yes, we have church on Sunday, and we'd love to have you sing in the choir, and would you like to be on the altar guild? And by the way, we have this buildings committee, and you know, um, here, here's a towel, could you wash the dishes? Um, and also say, but we also have this gathering in each other's homes that we, we reflect together, and we pray together, and we encourage one another in faith. I thought those were really lovely ideas, and I wanted to share them with you. And, and Vicki, as you begin in earnest now, officially now, your role as rector, first of all, I want to thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, it's been a journey, and you've been true to it with a sense of quiet joy from the beginning. 
I want to thank you for your obvious and affection for this congregation. She really loves you, and she loves being with you. And, um, and I want to commend you in your leadership. And I ask you to help shepherd your people in a way that allows them to go deeper in their walk with Christ, and also that, that keeps an eye on where things might be going in the direction that the Spirit is leading. If we're all in the exact same place spiritually a year from now as we are right now, we're missing something. Right? And if the life of St. Luke's is in the exact same place a year from now than it is right now, or any church, or a diocese or a bishop, we're, we're missing something because God is, is moving us. And it's, it's, it's partly your responsibility as, as the rector of this church to pay attention to that and to make room for that, okay? And we'll be calling every once in a while to see how you're doing. <laughs> you can't just nod. No, you, can, you can't just nod. And then the final thing, and I'll leave you with this, is um, to remember each and every one of you when you and I know you know this, but I'll just say it because it's, um, it's true for all of us, that um, in this world that we live in right now, which is becoming less and less religious by the day, not less spiritual, but less religious, we are each a walking gospel. And what I mean by that is, um, for some people that you know and you meet and you, you share life with, you are the only living example of a Christian that they know, right? And not to imagine that there's any pressure on you other than to love them and to love them deeply, but to remember that how you live and how you <clears throat> engage with other people is a window into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And wouldn't it be amazing if people who are in this time, and many of them are our children and grandchildren and our neighbors, they would say, I don't really understand about this Jesus thing, and I don't really know if I want to be a Christian. But boy, whenever I'm around the people of that church, I think there's something, there's something to it. Not because of how they make me feel about them, but how I feel in their presence. Okay. All right. So I'll be back because um, I love you and I love this church and we're praying for you and we're praying for Vicki. Um, and when we get together the next time, the thing we need to ask each other is, what's changed? How have we grown? Where have we seen God? And what, what, um, what is the spirit up to? to which we are doing our very best to be faithful. Amen. Amen.